0: I'd like to have to stop using the word Western, the phrase Western media. You know, I want it to be an international global media conversation because I think right now, you know, I am covering the journalism industry from the U.S. So, of course, it's what I see most often as well. But they, you know, they have loud voices (laughs) and they like to talk about it. So, you know, it's definitely I think it is um, kind of hogging the stage a little bit. And I'd like for there to be a little more room for what's happening across the world.
1: Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about the future of digital news. Uh, In studio today, I've got two people with me. Uh, One of them is a friend who's been on the podcast a few times, who's helped us out with the podcast, Amber Healy. Welcome back, Amber. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad you're here. And uh, joining us is Margie Looney. Margaret Looney, uh, from uh, IJNet, which is, again, I explain, International Journalism Network?
0: It's International Journalist Network.
1: Journalist Network, okay. And in order to sort of feed into the narcissism of this podcast, the reason that you're here is because you wrote something very nice about our podcast. You were you were at the presentation that, that, that uh, I, I took part in at uh, the Online News Association conference uh, uh, about a month ago. And uh, you promoted us and everything, and so that was really great. So as a key to sort of going forward, if anybody wants to get on the podcast, write something nice about us, <laughs> share us out, and, and we'll get that going. But that's that's my selfish reasons for having you in here. But actually, you are a journalist. Uh, IJNet is kind of an interesting product out there. But before we get, get into that, could you sort of talk about your, your journalist journey? How did you become a journalist? How did you end up at IJNet?
0: I started studying journalism at LSU in Louisiana. I studied print journalism there. And I also wrote for the paper, uh, covered international students, culture, religion, gender issues. Uh, so I did that for a little while. Um, and But I was kind of focusing more on media development. That was my big interest. Um, I was minoring in international relations. So I thought that's where I was going with journalism. Mm. More of the, you know, that's kind of why I thought DC would be the place for me. Um, but I got an internship at uh, International Center for Journalists, which produces IJNet. Um, but I actually started interning with the Knight International Journalism Fellowships. Uh, they do, that's kind of the flagship, flagship program of ICFJ. They run fellowships abroad. Um, they find international fellows to implement some sort of media project in their country or in a in a different country just based off of their expertise. Um, so that's what I did for them. I did research for them, um, you know, help them to run their programs, and then the journalism bug came back pretty strong. Um, and luckily, IJNet was an easy step sideways within ICFJ to start with them. So I actually started as an intern with them as well. So I, I was there for about a year and a half actually interning. It was quite quite the intern mm-hmm. record before I was able to get a job as editorial assistant and social media manager and now finally managing editor.
1: OK. And, and so what is the focus of, of IJNet? Is, is it just – is it about media or is it just about – you know, international journalists?
0: We want to be a resource site for journalists. Um, So that's definitely how it began um, with a huge focus on training opportunities. Um, We tried to curate opportunities around the web that journalists can easily apply for at a low cost. Um, We're always keeping journalists in mind that may not have a lot of resources in their own country. So with that in mind, we also do tip sheets, lots of how-tos, and we've, in the past couple of years, we started actually covering the international journalism industry more, Um, And trying to kind of bridge that gap with what's happening, you know, in Western media, which is covered so heavily and let international journalists know what's happening in that field. And, you know, kind of these leading trends and also the other way around. We want we would like if we're doing our job correctly to for, you know, Western media to be looking at our side for what's happening around the world in journalism.
1: Okay, And and we've had a a couple of uh, international journalists on the podcast and it's, my experience has been it's sort of been sort of a peek into kind of a different world mm-hmm. um, that the dialogue about journalism in the, in the U.S. is certainly is kind of robust. People are really kind of all about digital journalism. But once you go to other countries where they may not may not have broadband, where they may not have um, the same sort of quote-unquote free press – uh, tradition that we have here, it's a very different situation, even though the technology may be out there, just sort of different levels of, of what's going on. What 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 sort of observations have you been able to make uh, in sort of from your perch of, 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 of this dialogue overseas?
0: Yeah, that's definitely something we have to consider with any piece we cover. Um, we see, you know, rather than talking about what's happening in digital journalism overseas, we're talking about how journalists are just trying to open data in their own countries. Um, like we're bringing in trends that are happening in the in the U.S. and in Western media, like data journalism. But this is not a you know how can we make this really cool piece online? It's how can we even let our country, you know, give us this data and use it to make something new. So we're we're looking at things from from definitely a different perspective. We you know these booms that are happening in podcasts in the U.S. We can't we can't necessarily just cover. What's happening with, you know, podcasts in the U.S. and then say, here you go, you know, international journalists just make it. You know, we have to look at that trend and say, here's how you can do it. We also see that coming from, you know, we can't just talk about desktop, really, because, again, broadband is an issue. Um, So whenever we're talking about digital journalism, a lot of journalists are accessing uh, are using SMS to, you know, bring in stories from local local communities um, we see a lot of local coverage that way, especially in Africa. Um, so it's not, you know, how are, how are my users accessing me when they're commuting to work on the, on the subway? It's, you know, how can I get, how can my user who lives in a remote community get in touch with me? I can send them an SMS alert, you know, with something that's actually happening in, in the news that day. And they can also communicate with me about what's happening in their community. And that's how we can get story ideas. Yeah, that's you know?
1: really interesting. I've heard about the using of SMS in, in other places. And I know there are even people here in the U.S. who are trying to figure out a way to sort of leverage that. But then on the other hand, we have a broadband. We have a greater sort of adoption of of, of, of Internet uh, access and, and mobile here in the U.S. So now your particular focus is on, on media uh, and sort of – is it new technologies or just sort of media in general, just –
0: um, we're, we definitely want to be talking about what's happening in the media innovation scope. Uh, we want journalists, you know, internationally to be caught up with that. Um, so we do have a big focus on media innovation um, and kind of what the next thing is out there. But it's also we do have to keep in mind that, again, sometimes we have to do just, you know, things that seem a little more basic, um, you know, because that's still what people, you know, especially broadcast journalism is still huge in Southeast Asia. And we actually have a lot of readership there. So we, you know, we want to write things that are valuable for them. Um, We want them to know, you know, here are some tips that you can just do for basic broadcast. You know, here's how to do a good broadcast interview. So we want to be, you know, we're kind of having two big focuses here of, you know, being on the cutting edge to keep them informed. And also but still delivering something, a resource that they can actually use to further their career.
2: Is there a time or do you find yourself, you know, sort of getting all hyped up about, you know, the next, like you said, the next big thing, the next tool, the next gadget, the next platform, Um, And having to sort of take a step back and be like, okay, you know, we have to be practical here. We have to remember that we're a resource for people who, you know, aren't far removed from, I don't want to say carrier pigeons and like town criers, but really have like a very sort of fundamental and basic approach, not only just access to, but approach to covering the news. And who also, you know, don't necessarily have, for example, like Freedom of Information Act laws to protect reporters from going in and trying to get that information.
0: Sure. That's something we consider every day at, at IJNet. We especially come to face with this with social media platforms. Um, There's always new social media platforms out there, and we want to even use them to reach our audience. But it's not practical. Um, We have to, with each language that we have, we have to think of a different social media platform that works best to reach our readers there. Um, So for in China, for instance, um, we have IGNet Chinese, but Facebook and Twitter, there are useless. Right. And we want to, we use uh, Sina Weibo pronunciation pending on that, (laughs) Um, we use, you know, Weibo to reach our readers there. We want to, you know, think of all the other platforms that we could be using to reach readers there as well, like WeChat. But then it comes into a matter of capacity of our organization. And is it really valuable? You know, should we focus Mm -hmm. on one or the other? I think this also goes back to data journalism. Um, We can't just talk about, you know, we can't just talk about the snowfalls of the day. We have to talk about very basics. We have to say is, you know, are our readers going to care about, you know, what's what the L.A. Times just did with this um, really cool story about immigration? They might care about the immigration part, but they, you know, they're going to look at the L.A. Times and say, my news bureau can't do that. You know, how can you, I'm a, I'm a newsroom on a budget. How can I do data journalism um, as a bootstrapped organization? So we have to, you know, take these trends and make sure that we're being accessible and considering that they might not even have the capacity to have someone that, you know, to have a data journalism team. I um, you know, I think that's a big topic now. Is how can you know techies and journalists collaborate? We we are still thinking how can a journalist be both a data journalist and just a reporter.
1: And, and we've had a few people on the podcast who've even talked about uh, like security um, of, of their information uh, from from their government from their government. And you know how how can you. You know cover someone who might be speaking against the government in, in a in a country where that is is not allowed, and so you know how does the how does the journalist protect themselves and, you know and these are these are really big big issues for for just trying to do the the job of journalism i mean sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in in the new technology and the new gadget and and forget that you know what our mission is and how difficult that is for some people.
0: Uh, that was actually a big focus um, of IGNet this past year. We wanted to do a big push on digital security and also journalist safety. Um, so we actually released a journalist sa- journalism safety toolkit, which it basically comprised all of the pieces that we wrote on that um, this past year. And you know, I, I worked with different freelancers to try to get pieces directly related to what's happening in other countries and how they can protect themselves specifically. Uh, we tried to react in a pretty timely way what was happening um, in other countries. So, um, you know, whenever the James Foley event happened, freelancers are a big part of IGN's readership. We wanted to say, you know, here's the best ways that you can protect yourself in X country um, if you're covering an issue there. We definitely put a a big focus on that and not just, you know, saying here are tips for protecting yourself in this particular country or if you're covering this particular issue like religion. Um, We also wanted to say, here's how you can also protect your phone Here's how you can also protect, you know, all the communication that you're doing with your bureau, either in another country, back home, or in your country. The challenge there is getting um, on-the-ground feedback, because we want to make sure that, you know, what we're saying is relevant. So it's kind of a constant search to find someone that can speak to that in the most authentic way.
2: So now you're talking about, you know, how to protect a journalist as he or she is doing her job. Mm -hmm. Okay, how they can protect their their information that they obtain. But what about, like, on-the-ground resources for them, if, for Mm -hmm. example... They get arrested or if their work is confiscated or whatever. I mean, are there, you know, like here's if you find yourself in a really bad situation, here's who you call to, you know, to literally protect your physical being mm-hmm. from getting thrown in jail. Or if you've been prosecuted, you know, this is the number that you call to get legal help or to get to get to protect you know, yourself, to literally yeah. protect yourself mm-hmm. as, yeah. a, as a reporter, um, because we've seen reporters thrown in jail. We've seen them. You know, bad things happen to reporters just trying to do their jobs. I mean, to say nothing of their equipment, of their tools, but just them personally.
1: And and it's also important to get lessons out there about just, you know, things to think about before you go out on on assignment. You know, maybe you don't bring your cell phone because a cell phone can be can be tracked. And so maybe you don't want to let people know that you're going to be meeting somebody.
2: But then if that's the case and if you're going without a phone and you can't be tracked, do you tell someone where you're going so they can check in on you if you don't come back by x time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you set that? Do you have information like that like tips on you know uh, setting up a safety net essentially for when you're out in the field doing your job?
0: Yes. so when it comes to resources when you're actually on the ground and trying to plan ahead, that's where we we try to still st- become a resource site and we try to curate as many resources that resources that are out there. Um, so we don't if we don't have a source that can tell us exactly how to do that, we go and look at all the sources that do exist and say, here are five websites that are going to give you all the information that you need to plan your next overseas reporting assignment. Um, and we do drill into, you know, we have pieces on um, planning a communications plan for any high-risk assignments. Here are three forms that you should fill out and uh, send to your, you know, your loved ones so they know where they can find you. Tips on setting up a, a contact, you know, plan a time ahead that you're going to get in contact with someone back home. If that doesn't happen, you know, have some backup measures in place and so they can know, you know, this person hasn't been in touch with me. Maybe I should contact their editor. Maybe, you know, there should be some action plan in place. When it comes to actual you know, people to contact, um, we do, you know, we want to stick to our strong suit, which is actually gathering the resources and, you know, being the reporter's voice. Um, so we want to we try to have as many resources that they can turn to on our website to find those people. Um, so we, I mean, we're always like trying to shout out to the people that can help them. You know, committee to protect journalists. If you're work- working on a you know freedom of expression issue, Article 19 is great for that. So we're we're always trying to you know at least connect. If we don't have the informations ourselves or our reporter can't gather it, then we want to be the connection between you know the reporter and who can help them.
1: So how how difficult is it for you to sort of come up with these type of assignments to come up with um, you know these topics to to write about? Is your audience providing you with this stuff or are are you just sort of having to sort of imagine what the resources people are going to need and want?
0: We work basically on two levels for that. Uh, We do have some freelancers that focus on particular regions. Um, So I rely on them to, you know, keep an eye out on what's happening in media there. And they pitch stories to me, um, you know, once a week, uh, once every two weeks, depending on their frequency. Um, so we're tapping into, you know, regional, regionally, that's how we're tapping into what's happening there. But also social media is a huge source of stories for us, especially since we are working like in an international journalist network. So hard to actually, you know, see what our journalists want to know, Mm -hmm. um, as a feedback mechanism, it's hard to, it's hard to receive from them. So we turn to social media for that. Um, we get a lot of story ideas from there as well. And also, you know, our contact form on our website, you know, we get we get a lot of ideas that way, or at least a lot of feedback and saying, you know, thank you for this story is very valuable. So we use a lot of word of mouth. Of course, we use analytics to find out what works best. And we'll maybe stick on that trend for a while if we see that this is something that's really resonating in a particular country. But mainly, I would say social media we use for interaction and feedback and kind of planning where we go next.
1: So you you were at O&A and you, we were talking before we started recording here. Um, not only did you cover our session and one of the reasons you covered our session is because it was specifically how to podcast episode session, but you were there to sort of to seek out different types of uh, resources, possible story ideas. Uh, what, what are the things that you, you see there that you thought would be useful to your particular audience?
0: Uh, when I was there, I was pleased by how many – topical sessions they had. I mean, very niche topics that they had to focus on. They had a lot of environmental sessions, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, we have a lot of specialized reporters that turn to iJNet for very particular tips. You know, how can I write a better science journalism story? I'm always seeking something like that. And at, I, at ONA, I, I found um, definitely a lot of niche topics like that. I also, it was a great way to meet other international journalists. I think this year, compared to last year in Chicago, I definitely m- met a lot more, inter- many more international. Yeah, journalists.
1: I, th- I felt that there were a lot more people from from around the world at this this conf- this conference.
0: Yeah, I was I was really pleased by that. Um, I actually, you know, I I wasn't able to make it to the international attendee meetup, and that was one of my biggest regrets of the conference. And I, I went to it last year, and I saw a lot of people that there that were excited about you know an international o a but. Um, the sh- the sh- not many people showed up, not as many people as, you know, I had hoped. Um, whereas this year, I was talking to some other journalists there, and they said it was amazing. There were so many people there. But otherwise, you know, I, j- I sent out a plea on Facebook, the Facebook ONA group, you know, if you're an international journalist, let me know, let's meet up, let's talk. So I actually found a lot of sources for future Q&As that we're going to do on the site, because we like to do that as well. You know, we don't always just want to cover um, this major trend. We want It's a network. So we want, you know, a journalist in one country to be able to relate with whatever is affecting this journalist, you know, in Colombia. Um, There might be a lot of connection between what's happening between a journalist and his work in Colombia and in Pakistan, you know, where they're both facing issues of freedom of expression. Um, So we try to, you know, it's not just a bridge between Western media and international media or just, you know, connecting journalists in one country. We also want it to be, you know, kind of a – South-to-South collaboration as well, you know, journalists who are struggling with the same problems in very different countries. We want them to be able to learn from each other as well.
1: Yeah, and and that's actually one of the nice things about uh, digital journalism, the ability to share information so easily and quickly. And and the fact that there are journalists all over the world and have had all types of experiences and learned from those experiences, and there's that ability to share that information, Um, I think it's so key and and so useful uh, for you know, moving what we're doing forward, sort of taking advantage of the, of this technology to uh, to sort of advance our mission. And, you know, I think efforts like what, what you're doing at IJNet are, are key to that. I mean, it's sort of connecting people from around the world and, and sharing their common experiences. That's not really a question. I don't, <laughs> quite often, I'll not ask questions. I'll just sort of make
0: Comments are impressive, good. <laughs> impressive statement. Very wise, sagacious so, comments.
1: <laughs> you, you mentioned social media, and, and we, we sort of touched on it a couple of times. You use that as a as a source uh, for story ideas. Are, are we particularly talking about Twitter, or are we talking about other things?
0: We use Twitter most often, probably. Um, our biggest following is on Facebook. I mean, Facebook internationally is big, so we we definitely have a lot of readership there, and I think we reach a lot of journalists that way. To be honest, I think. We receive more quality comments on Twitter. Um, I think our, you know, our following there is a little more involved. Um, whereas on Facebook, it, it's more we'll receive, you know, like good job, thanks for this, uh, which we appreciate and we use. Um, you know, we we take that into strong consideration. If we receive a lot of feedback like that, we're going to stick on that issue for a while. Um, but on Twitter, I think we actually receive, you know, you know, check out, you know, what I'm doing in this country. You know, here's a link and let's talk about it. Um, I think we receive a lot more of that on Twitter.
1: Can you give us an example of some of the stories that you think have, have you know, demonstrate the well the mission that you guys have?
0: Sure. Um, this past year, it, there def- it definitely was the focus on journalism safety. Um, we received a lot of great feedback about the toolkit that we put out. And I think it is because there were very pointed tips um, and also a huge collection of resources. Um, and we didn't just put iGenet resources in this toolkit. We also put, you know, here are, you know, 10 other organizations that are doing, that can, you know, keep you safe when you report abroad. We do receive a lot of positive feedback about our audience engagement stories, because I think that's a very universal um, trend. You know, everyone's always trying to figure out how can we reach our users? So, you know, that, I think there is a lot of that coming from the Western side of media right now. And it's, you know, reaching other, other countries and still being applicable Maybe not perhaps through, you know, WhatsApp kind of way. Yeah. But, you know, there's these, you know, common tips about how you can get in touch with your readers. And I think that's resonating pretty well.
1: Uh, Well, do do you have a sense of in in, can you sort of give an example of maybe some of the ways that in other countries it may be a little different how people are interacting online?
0: Sure. Um, I think I mean, we our journalists aren't just our readers aren't just online journalists. And I think that's. That's a big issue. They're, they're having to actually still go out and report and meet the readers. So that's, you know, that's something that's like face-to-face interaction. Like we're worried about audience engagement now, but it's like it's pretty easy, easy to engage with your audience when you're actually, you know, seeing them in the, in the community and serving them. But whenever we are talking about like on an online level, I think they are trying to embrace social media. I think that's still, you know, pretty – I mean it's still – that was the buzzword, I guess, you know, a couple of years ago where media is not really having as much of an issue. But right now, the people in other countries are using social media kind of as a way to get around some of these restrictions that they face online. Um, you know, social media isn't as heavily watched as, you know, maybe their news organization. So it's not even just like, I put out this cool story, you know, check it out here. It's, you know, tell me about what's what's actually going on in, in your part of the country and let's try to talk about it. You know, finding sources in a in a way that, that doesn't actually put a a huge spotlight on either the source or the reporter. Um, I think social media is a a little, it's a little easier to do it that way. And because it's not even that these reporters are covering really hard hitting issues. It's just that, you know, restrictions on media are so rampant in some of these countries that even just trying to do their job, you know, on a normal level is difficult. Um, It's not like they're going to use an encrypted email just to, you know, try to find a story. It's, it's more because it's a, because um, it's written about the government or anything like that. It, it's just, you know, we're trying to make this work in our country and we need to turn to social media to find these sources if we're not going to find them face to face.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the importance of understanding that that journalism is different all around the world and journalists are coming at it from with a varying degrees of resources and ability to to access sources, but also to to broadcast and share what they're doing. So it can be a real struggle and more so than just you know of oh, the the mayor not talk to me about this you know this bill that just came down mm-hmm. it's it's you know you know trying to find people who will talk on the record right. trying trying to find an audience who you know who is probably hungry for this but you know how do you reach them when when you're restricted as to to how to communicate to other people
0: yeah so- sources aren't as willing to be you know, to be on record as well so it's not just about trying to find someone who can give you a good story, it's about trying to find someone who's actually going to talk to you and not fear for their, you know, their safety afterward.
1: Right. And at the same time, worrying about your own safety. Um, do, do you see that this is the security is is that the big concern for most people or, or is it, you know, more mastering the technology? Or what do you think is foremost in, in people's mind in the international journalism?
0: I think switching from print to digital is probably one of the most <laughs> rampant concerns. You know, that sounds that's familiar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it definitely, it's still a concern here in the U.S. and in Western media. So um, we're seeing a lot of this, we're focusing a lot of it um, in India right now. We do have some uh, Knight International Journalism fellows. Uh, they will write for IGNet as well because we do have that connection there within ICFJ. Um, so we get a good um, perspective of what's of fellows who are actually in a newsroom trying to make that transformation happen. So like in the Hindustan times in India, they brought in a fellow to work with the staff to try to, you know, let's, we're, we're largely a print organization. Let's introduce these new digital tools and see if we can get a digital first workflow going. That's, you know, definitely a big concern because everyone recognizes that, you know, print's still strong, but we see what's happening. You know, it's, maybe it'll go on for another 10 years in our country, but You know we're going to be left behind and it's not that you know print's going to die it's that you know maybe a lot of our readers like are turning to digital platforms too so we have to keep up with what's where our readers are going not just where the rest of the journalism industry is going as well so that's i think that's probably the biggest the the most relevant issue that's facing journalists because again not everyone is covering the hard-hitting investigative stories Um, so yeah just that making that jump
1: yeah yeah, and it's still in 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 the U.S. is still uh, um, foremost in, in in the big topics in in, in future journalism is is the, the especially in some of the big papers is how they can resolve, you know, what point are they going to move on from print, or you know, at what point does print continue to go on in some form to provide some access while maybe the main thrust of the newsroom is really in, in the digital space. I had the opportunity about a year ago uh, to talk to a group of Vietnamese uh, journalists. And, I, you know, people ask you to go and do something like this because you're a podcaster or because you're, uh, you work for a radio station and, and are supposedly up on what's going on. And, and you have sort of these ideas of what you're going to talk about. And once I got in there, I, I realized very quickly that, you know, um, their newsroom, their news industry is in a very different place. Than what it is here, and they were very, you know, they were very curious about, you know, w- why I podcasted, and, and you know, about the the broadcast end of it. But they were, you know, they were very open about the fact that, you know, they were concerned about the print industry. It, it was still the dominant form of journalism in their country, but what was changing was there was a rapid rise in, 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 of people using cell phones. Mm-hmm. And that was changing sort of the dynamic of how people were going to access their news. And so I think that was the point where they were kind of like, well, you know, we do print because it's making money and that's – it's always going to make money. But we're seeing that our product is sort of being diluted as, as people find it in other other ways. You know, how can we monetize it? And that was the question. You know, how can, I, how can we monetize this? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we're still trying to figure that out we're here. We're still trying to figure that out here. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I – I have some ideas of uh, of how to do certain things, but I'm not a businessman, uh, and so it was kind of a—I don't want to say it was fruitless, but it was sort of a it just an unusual uh, discussion that I, that I participated in.
2: So, as as someone who's worked in journalism and media and all of this craziness for a while, what what does keep you inspired? Is it is it the idea of you know like I'm working as a protector, or is it I'm giving people resources, or is it just
0: I do feel a particular particularly lean toward international journalists and it's it's not they understand you know the industry and they they do have a lot of you know other ways to keep in touch with what's happening in the U.S. media scene and you know I don't just want to be I don't want IGNet just to be a a bridge between these two things because I feel like that doesn't give them enough credit for you know all the work that they're doing in their country it's just that you know the trends are not the same But I do feel like, like you said, I kind of feel like a protector for them. You know, I want their voices to be heard. And I do feel that there is a lot of, you know, media covering media. I do feel like it can get a little myopic sometimes because we're talking about how, you know, what this big news organization just did. And it's great. And, you know, they're leading the charge, but it's not relevant to everyone. And I think we talk a lot about these same issues and without really like turning east and seeing what's happening past Europe, but, you know, in Southeast Asia, uh, what's happening in Africa, like the code for movements in data journalism, are, it's, it's huge there. And I don't think we talk about that. So, you know, it, whenever I hear that journalists are, you know, thank you for, you know, getting our story out there for letting other journalists around the world know what we're doing. It's not that it's not always that they're there at IGNet to learn, um, you know, the skill to bring home to their newsroom, you know, they also want to be part of the international global media conversation. Um, They want to be, you know, seen alongside what's happening. Even in Latin America, there are a lot of things happening there and they don't want to be seen as, you know, we're catching up. You know, it's more like this is what we're doing. This is what's happening in our country. We want to be seen on the same page as what's happening in the, the, I always say, quote unquote, Western media. You know, I want to, I want iGenet to be able to be a platform to have these diverse conversations and not just be, this north-to-south conversation, um, north to East conversation. I want it to be a platform where journalists across the world can learn from each other and, you know, also transfer their ideas back to, you know, news organizations that maybe don't have to think about the struggle of covering their sources or interacting with their audiences. You know, it's not, we didn't get enough page views for this. It's, oh, we got, you know, we got a DDoS attack for this piece. You know, mm-hmm. we, want, we want them to be considering... You know, even the, all of the, the new apps that are popping up across the seas, those don't really get a lot of coverage. You know, I'm glad WhatsApp really became part of the conversation because that's something that's used across the world. All Like WeChat, you know, these, these platforms, they are getting a little more uh, prevalent in the, the, the larger news organization conversation. But I want people to be able to turn to IGNet to actually, you know, see what's happening there and to keep those diverse conversations going.
1: Do, do you think that uh, Western media is a little myopic about um, what's going on in, in me- journalism in other countries?
0: I think so. And I, I think it is because maybe they're just it's not as easy for them to find out what's going on. I think that they I don't want to say that they're not paying attention, um, but maybe, you know, there aren't enough ways to, to you know, megaphone those those voices to Western media. I like, the, I like that ONA has such a big international presence because I think that's a great place to have that conversation. Juanifra, the World Editors Forum, there were a ton of international journalists there. They were they, – and they looked a lot different than what the journalists that go to ONA look like. These weren't just young millennials. These are older, you know, businesswomen, businessmen that are trying to figure out how to make their industry move forward. And I think it's a different type of conversation um, that I'm glad we're having but it, it's nice to see – it would be nice to see a very – I'd like to see an international journalism conference that actually mails the two worlds together and not just has a, you know, largely a Western media focus and then, oh, great, we, there are a lot of international people there too. You know, I'd like for it to be – I'd like to have to stop using the word Western – the phrase Western media. You know, I want it to be an international global media conversation because I think right now, you know, I am covering the journalism industry from the U.S. So, of course, it's what I see most often as well. But they, you know, they have loud voices <laughs> and they like to talk about it. So, you know, it's definitely I think it is um, kind of hogging the stage a little bit. And I'd like for there to be a little more room for what's happening across the world.
1: One of the things about this podcast is that it's we our, our goal is to talk to journalists about journalism. It's very navel gazing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the people that we've had in here, uh, you know, Almost to to hundred percent are have been really positive and very open about about what they do, and it could be very easily. And I think maybe I don't know if you feel this way sometimes. If you're if you're looking at the journalism industry, it's kind of like, ugh, you know, isn't I should be doing journalism. I shouldn't necessarily be just covering journalists. That it's it's just too much about the self. But I think one of the things you talked about in this is that the things that we do in our daily jobs. Are, are, are quite – sometimes quite revolutionary for other people and it's important for us to sort of talk about that and it is sort of, yeah, we're kind of navel-gazing but at the other hand is, is that the people who, who don't have these opportunities, they don't have these resources, it's an opportunity for them to hear people use the tools that they have available to them and how they use those tools as, as an instructive aspect. Is that something that you sort of feel?
0: Yes. Um, I mean, that's why we do we still do cover a lot of what's happening in, you know, more forward thinking news organizations, because, I mean, they are doing really cool stuff. Um, we just want to be able to look at that and and break it down in a way to where other people can learn from it. So not necessarily, you know, this this organization just produced this amazing digital piece. Check it out. We want it to be, you know, here are like five examples of how you know, news organizations are, you know, including multimedia And here are five tools that you can use to do it, too. So, you know, I think it's important that we are showing what's happening and and definitely bridging that gap, but also introducing it in a way that, you know, makes it accessible for other people to do it, too. So it's less of a, you know, our our readers are journalists. You know, they want everything that they're reading. They're reading it because they want to apply it to their own jobs or or they're just reading because they thought it was an interesting profile. But, you know. Right. It's so- people, people like the resources. You know, we, we feature training opportunities on our website every day. You know, that's that's a huge source of traffic for us because and I think this shows that, you know, there is value say, to say what's going on in the world because, you know, we're covering fellowships, you know, um, online online courses, things that are really ex- um, low cost and accessible to other people because they want to be a part of it. Um, you know, they, they are looking for the next step they're eager to, you know, further their career in some way. So we I mean it's definitely beneficial to be having these conversations about media covering media and there's so many organizations that are doing it now and I think it's great because I think every single one has its niche. Some are more analytical, some are more very how-to but focus on a particular, you know, segment of the industry. And some are just tools focused. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for that. But I think that, you know, the benefit of IGNet is actually being able to bring in that diversity of what's happening around the world, too, and add it to the conversation.
1: I'm going to ask you an unfair question. Okay. Uh, Just because you're a millennial. Oh. What do you think about millennials as journalists? Where where do you think their head's at?
0: (laughs) I think they bring a lot of enthusiasm to the industry, and I think they have brought a new way of thinking. We've definitely seen a lot of changes as far as how social media is adapted, um, adopted adopted how social media Used. is adopted and i do think they kind of get you know thrown into the stick sometimes um because i mean so many leaders in journalism are still kind of these head honchos who have been print journalists for years you know they are at the helm of the organization and they come in with a you know with skepticism toward young people who i think are misunderstood thinking that they can just get ahead without doing a lot of hard work i think the work is just different you know it's Technology has made, you know, the networking aspect so much easier. It's made reporting more multifaceted, but also in a way it's, it's, it's easier to communicate with your sources and easier to have conversations. And sometimes those conversations are less formal. And I mean, I think that's something we've seen in news, too. You know, there's more of an informal voice that's going around. People are using, you know, personal essays to tell the news. I don't think that necessarily would have come to the picture as easily if one, millennials weren't you know, being a part of the journalism and maybe more millennials are also paying attention to news more as well. So there it's kind of a, you know, there has to be there's a millennial voice as a reporter, but there's also a millennial audience that appreciates it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the millennials that, that I've had the opportunity to meet either through this podcast or through my job, I've been very impressed with millennial journalists, that there is a lot of enthusiasm. Not all of them are annoyed and are, are waiting for us to die. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them. Many of them maybe, but uh, – no, but I think there's a – I don't know. I, I, I do think, as you said, I think sometimes the millennials get the short end of the stick because there's sort of perception that, oh, you guys don't have the experience. You don't have the knowledge. But in actuality, you have knowledge and skills about certain things that uh, older journalists may not have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, this is all part of the big transition. Did you have something to I say? I was just
2: going to say, isn't this all just part of the evolution? I mean, every – we're going through we've said this a thousand times on this podcast or 172 I've said it two times <laughs> okay in the life of this podcast uh, we've talked about the evolution of journalism you know what it was was what it's going to be and we do come to you know in the us we do come to sort of like you know there's this friction between this is print this is how it's always been this is how it shall be forever and ever amen and then we've get younger people coming in and saying but there're all these new tools and let's use them and let's get our voice you know in our stories and our work that we're doing for our readers out there in front of big, you know, as big an audience as we can. And I think that's the role that you know people my age and younger, because I'm a dinosaur apparently. Um, you're Generation X, right? <clears throat> I, I don't know what I am. I, know, I get a different label thrown at all the time. I, I th- really
1: think you're on the fence between millennial
2: and Isn't that accurate? Um, but it's, no, it's a live matter you, of transition. As you, live
1: as you go forward or go forward as you live.
2: Exactly. Um, but no, it's a matter of the younger journalists are coming in and saying, let's use all these tools. That scares to an extent or makes old people who are entrenched, who've been around, who've done the job and done the work and have been fantastic in being role models for those of us who are coming up, they don't understand it or maybe they're they're still kind of nervous about it. And like how do we how do we meld that? How do we not see each other across the desk as adversarial, but as actually, you know, as partners?
1: This on the same mission.
2: Exactly. Because ultimately aren't we all on the same mission? We're trying to get information out to people who aren't the ones going to the meetings, who aren't the ones, you know, pounding down the mayor's door to get the, you know, the real story on what's going on in X, Y, Z place. Um, how do we, how do we, you know, yeah, can you solve move this things big question along? Question, how do speak? we, how do we transition? I mean, it seems like it's going to happen. Yeah. It
1: has to happen. Well, when we die, that's the point. When this <laughs> whole well, journalist dies, but let's
0: not let's not wait
1: for all when of the they older die. Folks. There's going
0: to be a lot of valuable information that millennials yeah, exactly. will have missed out on. You know, there needs to be a two way conversation. You can't operate in a
2: vacuum.
1: Yeah, right. and, and that's that's what I feel when when I started this podcast. That was one of the things because I was that that person who was like seeing the industry changing, and I felt like I have information. That's valuable. And I know that there are other people in the newsroom that had who were older, had information and, and were concerned about the changes that were going on and sort of handing off that information. But I had a really interesting uh, experience a few weeks ago. I was actually at a luncheon with some, quote unquote, old journalists, older journalists than me. And, yeah, I know there are. And they were talking about. They had a somewhat negative uh, response to to young journalists, and they were talking about all of the the lost things, the you know staying up late to put out that extradition sort of thing, and it was kind of like the way they were sort of describing things. It actually kind of made me sad in many ways.
2: It sounds like it's a it's a nostalgia trip without an appreciation right. for the new. The new tools that we have, like, yeah, maybe we're not staying up till two in the morning working on one story. Maybe we're staying up till four, working on six stories and writing it out, you know, sort of meeting the story out as it as it happens. You know, like if you've got look at the Benghazi uh, hearing the other day that went on for 11 hours. It wasn't one story. It was a series of stories for the course of the day as people, Mm -hmm. you know, were asking questions.
1: And you had an audience that that wanted to get it that way. Exactly and they didn't ha- they had a different expectation of what the 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 journalists were going to provide them with, and were able to go to you know Twitter or they go go to an online news site and see the updates. You know, participate in a in a in a in a live blog or something about about this going on. So
0: exactly, if there was someone live blogging about that, that was a pretty intense day for that person. Yeah. it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't you know deadline driven to make it to print the next day, but it was you know it was a marathon throughout the day to yeah. keep people informed.
1: You know, yeah. I, again, we, this is another thing we've talked about on the podcast before about the the, the idea of old institutions, but I think it's also the idea of, of old. I don't know when, when, when I say packaging, that that news. Doesn't have to be a, a one thousand words, you know, story, you know, inverted pyramid written that way. That this is the way it's going to come. It's it's going to come in tweets. It's going to come in a live blog. It's going to come in in push alerts and things like that. And so, I mean, the end result is that you ended up with an informed reader. And and that's so how that how they, they are in, informed, it doesn't really matter what form that comes in. I think that's that's the mindset I think that the millennials bring to it. I think that, so. That they bring different pieces. The way they I mean we, we had a lot I don't want to say a lot of we had a lot of pushback but I was surprised that we, we had Lindsay Grace from um, American University on on one of our episodes talking about gaming um, us, using um, you know uh, gaming strategies in, in, in telling uh, news stories and, and I had a few, we had a few comments um, back from people who were sort of pushing back and saying, "Well, you know, this is ridiculous. No, nobody's going to like do a game or anything." But the fact is, for example, uh, millennials play a lot of video games, <laughs> but and, and they've they've come to appreciate the to- the storytelling aspects that that sort of platform gives. And so, why can't we use the 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 storytelling techniques that are that are employed there to tell news stories and, and tell more immersive news stories. I mean I mean that's something that I think generationally is a disconnect. I think that the the one the one generation who's who's grown up with this this sort of platform and, and grown to appreciate its strengths can can see, well yeah, why can't I play the news? Why can't I put myself in a news story and, and make sort of different choices about which direction to go in and what I'm going to – how I'm going to experience and how, you know, I, I, I have to overcome certain hurdles to have the story told to me in, in a certain way. And, and that's a more enriching and an and, and immersive experience. So, yeah. OK. We've cracked this millennial thing.
2: <laughs> I think we should all use all the tools available to us, whatever they are, whether it's a you know, multimedia platform with YouTube and Twitter and – Right. Whatever. And also – As appropriate. As appropriate and as possible. I mean because if you don't have the technology, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like if your readers aren't on Twitter, if your readers aren't online, then it doesn't matter how great your website is.
1: It's, it, well, and, and you just said it. It's because it's all where your readers are. Right. It's, it's bringing, your news, to, you know, bringing mm-hmm. your news to wherever your readers are, whether it's on their phone, whether it's their game console, whether it's on like a, a, a piece of paper nailed to the front of a church.
2: Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay.
1: Well, I think we blathered along quite enough. Um, Margie, what do you? What's what's next up for you? Uh, continuing on with with IJNet, I assume. I guess no. She's got, she's quitting next week. No, she's uh, not. Yeah.
0: No. Yeah. No. I mean, our next our next focus. Um, we're actually going to be relaunching our IJNet Persian site. Um, we did have that stagnant for a couple years because funding for IJNet Persian is very hard to receive. But we did get a new round of funding, so. Um, next up, that's that's kind of a big focus for me right now. is kind of like a mini redesign, which has caused me a lot of you know PTSD from our redesign. We redesigned last year, and that was across all seven languages. Um, wow. So, but even just working with um, a developer staff that. Doesn't speak Farsi. I mean, I don't speak Farsi either. So there's <laughs> a.
1: But we're going to create a news platform for for Farsi speakers. Well,
0: uh, we work with you know Farsi editors and translators, and so that's kind of the big focus for me is just getting that platform back up and running. We kind of have a different focus, thematic focus every year. This year was journalism safety um, and digital security. Um, this coming year, we're going to be focusing kind of very similar vein, but more particularly on open data and transparency in in governments and uh, like in public information. So we're going to be looking at countries that you know maybe are going through the battle of trying to get a freedom of expression law in their own country. We're going to be looking at those countries and trying to serve them with you know very relevant, timely resources that they can use to actually that they can use to actually bring an open data into their own conversation. And, I mean, that's only going to lead into data journalism. It's going to lead into, you know, different ways that they can provide their their readers with information that was previously not undiscoverable but probably hidden. So that's going to be a big focus of ours next year. But, you know, we're going to continue with the same old tools, tips, resources, training opportunities from around the web that journalists can apply for. We've been sticking with that niche for about mm-hmm. – since nineteen ninety-eight, I believe. So wow. we're gonna stick with that. Cool. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> I'm hoping one day, fingers crossed for IGNET French. That's my like big goal for me personally. Well, I think you know Western Africa hmm. would definitely benefit from that. A good goal. Yeah. A,
1: a positive goal. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Margie. This is thank great.
0: You. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks. And for thanks for coming in, Amber.
0: <laughs> Anytime. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also download episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at All Journalism. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.
1: Where do, where do you um you see the challenges going forward uh, for journalism?
0: That's a big question. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, all of the challenges. Well, that is a big question. I always ask these stupid
1: big questions. And, <laughs> it's not a stupid question. It's, no, it's a, no, it's a big, question. A big question. Well, let's let's back off of that because you know I I don't think that's an unfair question for I think anybody. Yeah, but it's what we're all thinking. But yeah. it's what we're all thinking. <laughs> it's um, what we all ask ourselves every yeah. day we go to work. What is it you? Uh, What's it you like about journalism? We'll With, go to a we'll go to a we'll go to a softball. Oh, Mike, you have got this look on your face.
2: Andrew. I'm having an almost famous flashback. Sorry. Anyway, like, oh, oh, yeah. I edit that out. Oh, oh, okay. Right, what's going on here? Hold on. And this is where Mike finds out we haven't recorded a thing. Oh, wow. Oh no, no not
1: really. Oh, okay. My uh, screen contracted on me. It. All right, so we'll get, we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> not ask that question. We'll, we'll get no, it's back a on good, track.
2: That's a good question. No, what
1: is it? I mean, what it's is it? What is it? Of course, it's a good question. I <laughs> asked it. Um, um, <laughs> what is it? Oh, geez.
0: Um, Saturday morning? It surprised me that you do this every Saturday morning. Uh, not That's every hard. Saturday morning. Okay. <laughs> It is hard.
1: It is hard to, to, to keep this bullshit going. Uh, I just posted hundred and, the 170th episode. That, Congratulations. Yeah, wow. That's yeah. great. I, I haven't done 170 so, things at all in my life.
2: Jump, to sort of jump off of that, maybe the question is, what keeps you inspired to right. keep going as a journalist? <laughs>
1: So, just so everybody understands, we just edited out a huge chunk. Of- <laughs>
2: oh, come on! My question was good. Okay,
1: no, no, go. Yes, yes. What keeps you inspired? Sure. Oh, well, feel free to. to no, to no, go- no. It's fine. Take credit for my work again. It's <laughs> oh, no big geez. deal.